1: Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. How are you doing? Did you watch the AFL Grand Final? Pretty disappointing for the Swans fans out there. It, uh, it was a hammering. The game was over basically as it started. Uh, I was watching it with a couple of friends and turned on the first quarter. I think the Cats were up 41-6 to 6 or something like that. And uh, didn't get much better from there on out. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm not a big AFL man. I do love the NRL, but when it comes to the AFL, if there's a Sydney team in the finals, I'm watching. You've got to support the team that's just up the road, right? No matter what uh, sport they play. And, uh, well, it was pretty disappointing, but I'm sure the players are a lot more disappointed. And they're probably still in their mad Mondays and having a great time anyway. So, I don't really feel too bad for them. But considering we're talking about the AFL and AFL Grand Finals, I thought this week I would bring on an artist who has played a AFL Grand Final halftime show, Cav Tamperley. He's the lead singer of Eskimo Joe. Uh, they played last year's one, which was over in Perth. It was the first AFL Grand Final in Perth, I believe, Uh, Most of them have always been held at the MCJ in Melbourne. And uh, we have him on today. We start talking about that. We talk about the AFL Grand Final and what it's like to play in front of a huge crowd and four million people watching at home. Just scares the shit out of me thinking about it. Uh, (laughs) The nerves get going. We talk about a few other things as well. We talk about the big gamble that Eskimo Joe took. They're obviously from Perth and uh, they bought a one-way ticket over to Sydney at the start of their careers in the late 90s. Look at them now. It paid off. Sometimes those gambles do pay off. We spoke about how the Offspring, the American Southern Californian punk band, how they helped kickstart Eskimo Joe's career. We also talk about how Jet, do you remember them? Huge Aussie band. How they inspired the dress sense of Eskimo Joe. Um, I also have a chat to Cav about dealing with fame. Obviously, Eskimo Joe, they had a huge rise. As soon as they really kicked off the early noughties, um, well, I mean, the band was around in the 90s, but when they started to uh, really get big, I spoke to him about how he dealt with that because uh, it can be quite a shocking thing. All of a sudden, everyone knows your name and face. And we also chat about their huge tour that is kicking off this week. If you love Eskimo Joe, go and grab yourself a ticket. Here is my interview with Cav Templey. Eskimo (laughs) Joe. It's a nice room you got there, whereabouts are you?
0: Uh, In Brisbane, just about to do pre-production for the Eskies tour that starts tomorrow night.
1: That's right, you're doing a uh, bit of a trip all the way around Australia and coming back to (laughs) Perth is that right?
0: That's right yeah so we yeah we start in Brisbane tonight and then we've got all the cap cities and then we finish up in Perth at the Fremantle Arts Centre so yeah playing Song as a City and Black Fingernails, Red Line back to back which is gonna be lots of fun.
1: And when we think about the last couple of years how busy have you guys been?
0: Uh, we've been lucky to do a few gigs here and there um, and I've managed to kind of get out over the last month or two to do a solo tour as well um, but you know, we haven't really been able to do a run of shows because, you know, each time like even some of the shows that we did were just by the you know, seat of our pants, you know, like the borders were just open or we had like a show that we had to do and for the first time ever had to get someone else to play guitar because Joel was stuck in Melbourne. So we had a whole bunch of problem solving gigs to do, but we just had to kind of get on with it and do it. And now it feels like finally, you know, we're 90% of the way there, things are starting to open up again and we can actually go out and play some shows, which feels pretty good and, and weird, like like every, life was just on pause for three years and now we're kind of back to it.
1: We just had the AFL Grand Final and it made me think of you guys because <laughs> you guys played uh, last year and you were at your hometown at that big stadium. I've got two questions. Yes. Is it shit scary playing in front of 60,000 people and about 4 million at home?
0: Yes, yes, your I think the, I think the term your sphincter is going like a rabbit's nose. <laughs> comes the term. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where you know we were lucky enough in Eskimo Joe to play some big shows, you know, in the past. And I think all that was going through my, my mind leading up to that grand final performance was like, a don't fuck it up, um, <laughs> and b just like actually enjoy it, enjoy the moment because you know, with all the stuff that had been going on up and, you know, this time last year, I was just like, you know, we might never get to do this again. This might be the last time this ever happens. So I just really wanted to go out there and just even, you know, we did all our rehearsals and, we, and all the rest of it, but I just really wanted to be in the moment and actually not you know, like I've seen footage of me doing like huge gigs at the Sydney cricket ground ground, you know, in front of like 80,000 people before. And I look like a man who's just hanging on by his fingernails <laughs> um, so these black fingernails to, to be, to coin a phrase, hey, yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to go out there and enjoy it. And I did, it was really amazing. And it was a huge buzz, of course.
1: Those TV live performances. Do you like doing them?
0: Yeah. I feel like one of the things, I think it's more, it feels more important now than ever before, but anytime there is like people take the time of day to, to make music, like to raise music up to this thing, to this really special thing, um, then I think that that's a really, really important moment in time and and television is one of those moments, and especially like a grand final where, you know, every dickhead who doesn't care about music suddenly is like watching, oh, I know this band, you know, for the first time all year. Uh, And I think that's super important because I think music should be raised up you know uh, it should be held up higher than sports in my opinion Uh, sorry that's a controversial thing to say um but i think yeah television is an important kind of vehicle for that and so anytime someone gives it the time of day and there's cameras and producers and and they make the sound amazing and it goes out to people everywhere i think that's a really really cool thing as opposed to people doing these like you know live aid sorry these um the, you know, all of the kind of Instagram performances and stuff that were happening during lockdown, which are cool. And I think that was a really interesting moment in time, but like, that's, that's like super watered down compared to like watching, you know, what they did with that, that amazing ABC show, um, the sound, um, where they, filmed really great bands and in really interesting locations performing live with a proper television crew and everything. I think that stuff is, you know, crucial and really, really good.
1: When you're standing on there as a performer, what do you think's changed since, say, 2019 to this year? Uh, is there any, any difference with the crowd? Is it, is it back to how it was?
0: I think it's pretty easy to tell people to get into their pyjamas, but get telling people to get out of their pyjamas is the hard part. <laughs> so there is an element of people like, oh, I don't want to take my pyjama pants off. Uh, there's a bit of that going on. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think that there is also like music as a commodity has stepped up again a bit since pre-pandemic. Like people really appreciate that live performance is that thing that you cannot, you know, replicate in any other way. So I, th- I feel like... I feel like that is is more relevant now, and I and I like going out and playing shows again. I just did a huge regional tour um, supporting some solo music that I've been putting out, and you know, even though I'm playing in these tiny little pubs in country towns all over the, Australia people were just so appreciative that music was happening again for the first time. And that's not to say that the crowds were huge, that we're not at that point where everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's what you do. You go to the pub on a Friday night. We're not back there yet, but the people who are coming out are really, like, super, super excited that things are happening again. And I think that's that's pretty cool.
1: I love the Eskimo Joe story. In particular, you buy this one-way ticket to Sydney. This is We're talking right back. I think you had Sweater, the song.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because we're kind of back to plane tickets being really expensive again. But in, <laughs> in the uh, in the late 90s when Eskimo Joe first started, um, you know, we, yeah, we got this song Sweater on the radio um, and then we got a support tour and so we just kind of bought a ticket and we're like, well, let's just tour as long as we humanly possible, possibly can. And then uh, so that went for 10 weeks, I think, the first run. We just kind of went up and down the East Coast and we do these Shows during the day at universities, like, and, you know, some poor guy like eating his sandwich while we're just like, da, 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 <laughs> you know, playing like punk rock music uh, at midday. And then at night we would do these gigs and we're, we're probably only getting paid like $300 per show. But, you know, we just, we just kept doing that. And then we came home and kind of put ourselves, you know, back together again after being on the road for 10 weeks and then did it again. Um, and then I think at the end of that 10 week uh, run of shows was when we kind of, begged, borrowed, and stole whatever money we could get together and, and recorded our second EP. Um, and then we uh, we just filmed uh, us playing at some, you know, show. I think it was at the Roundhouse in Sydney. Um, and then just kind of synced that up with some of the music from the EP and then sent that out to record labels, and that's when we finally got signed.
1: Sweater got picked up by Jane Gazzo on Triple J, I believe.
0: Yeah, she was the first so you- DJ to pick it up and go, "Oh, what's this?" And she was, she was uh, she did the nighttime request show. Um, I think her name was Calamity Jane at the time. Um, but yeah, wow. we were lucky enough that she picked it up and started playing it. And then I think it was Arnie Fralos was the programmer of Triple J. Was like, "Oh yeah, great!" And then know, uh, yeah, added it to high rotation, and that blew our minds because. Perth was, you know, Perth is so far away from everywhere else in the world. Uh, I've realised that even more during the pandemic, but um, but it certainly felt like that in the mid-90s. You know, the connectivity of the internet wasn't really a thing yet. So um, so to be played on the radio, like, you know, in, on your favourite radio station was absolutely mind-blowing at the time.
1: That EP did well because of that song. So there, there must have been a lot of pressure for that second EP, which was bigger.
0: I think so. I mean, you know, we... We just kind of picked up where we left off, and we had two two songs that did okay off it, which was "Turn Up Your Stereo" uh, and "Ruby Wednesday," and they were like the first kind of uh, they were our first kind of major like actual label releases. So we had like legitimate video clips and a proper marketing plan and stuff that came behind it. So I'm sure, yes, they probably were bigger. We did get to play on Recovery during Sweater, which was hilarious because we
1: what a show.
0: I know, what a show. (laughs) Uh, We finally got to thank Jane Gazzo for for playing our music. But when we got there, we hadn't actually put out any press shots. There was just these pictures on the, the sweater EP that we put out. And we just got these, we just chosen these pictures from a knitwear catalog. Um, and put our names underneath them. <laughs> um, so when we got there, there was these giant pictures of the of the pictures from the EP, and they were like, "Who are you guys?" And we we're like, "Oh, we're Eskimo Joe." They were like, "Who are these guys?" <laughs> like, They're just some <laughs> guys from a knitwear catalog. So they thought you were those guys, yeah, obviously. They that was us. Yeah.
1: And these young fellas rock up.
0: These little grommets.
1: Oh, that's great. And the reason we are talking about sweater as well this month, you went and re-recorded it. Yes. And I'm guessing that fans are going to be able to listen to it on this tour
0: yeah we're going to do it as the first song not uh, i'm pretty much just blowing it right here but we're going to do it as the first song uh exclusive exclusive <laughs> uh, first song of the encore um and uh yeah we practiced it in like even though we recorded it the other day we kind of recorded it all in isolation so i recorded my part just playing live bass and vocals and then joel did the same on his drums and studied his guitar at his house um because joel was in melbourne we were in perth um But then we rehearsed it in the jam room just before we came to Brisbane, which is where I am broadcasting from right now. And it was the first I realised as we were jamming it in the jam room, I was like, this is actually the first time we've played this song since 2001. So there you go. And
1: people do ask you for it, don't they?
0: It's it's become a thing. It's like even if you don't know the song, it's just like you go to an Eskimo Joe show and you you yell out, play sweater.
1: Um, What about that time? More about that uh, late 90s. You went on tour with The Offspring.
0: Yeah so when we first signed to Modular uh, which was our record label at the time the guy who uh, ran the label was a very infamous Sydney character called uh, Stephen Pavlovich, or Pav, as he was known, and he was like an amazing tastemaker. He was the guy who brought Nirvana over for the first time. We thought he was cool because he was friends with the Beastie Boys, and you know the other you know acts that he'd sign were like the Avalanche's and Living End, and all of his. He he just had very good taste in bands. So I don't know why he signed us, but um, one of the the kind of like the carrot dangles, you know. At, uh, that he put out there was, um, if you guys signed to Modular, because there was a bunch of different record labels who were interested in, I'll, I'll give you the Offspring tour because he also had his his um, touring company. So yeah, it was, it was our first kind of proper tour after you know playing tiny little pubs to a few people, and suddenly we were there, you know, playing entertainment centers to like thousands of people, and we were like, holy shit! So that was that was good fun.
1: Yeah, if someone had said that to me, I would have just said, where's the paper? I'll I'll, I'll sign it for everyone yeah. in the band. <laughs>
0: yeah we also you know you like you learn a lot doing those things because we were such a like such a bunch of noobs like we didn't really have guitar techs or anything like that and I remember I think like Stu's amp blew up on one gig and we had to like make up a whole like stand-up comic routine in front of like you know the the 20,000 people just so they didn't boo us off the stage and you know those moments are like that they make you as a band I think
1: this tour coming up, it's a bit nostalgic. You've got uh, Adelita on there opening up, obviously the front woman of Magic Dirt. So you guys must go way back.
0: Yeah, look, we've played lots of festivals and lots of gigs. We've never been on like a proper tour with Magic Dirt. They were way cooler than us, uh, also a little, little bit older. Uh, so um, we never did any tours, but I mean, I've known Adelita for years and years and obviously we have utmost respect for them as a band. Um, when we actually went and did that second EP that I was telling you about, we went and recorded with this guy called Lindsay Gavina, who is a Melbourne producer, and he produced all of the Magic Dirt records. And so we actually, before we'd had anything to do with Magic Dirt, we heard all of these amazing stories about those guys, mm. like, you know, uh, recording some record and then, like, dropping acid and deciding to, like, mix the whole record in one night. And, you know, we were <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah anyway we have lots of uh, lots of shared history with Adelita which is amazing and she's just an absolute legend.
1: I remember when you guys were you're on every station that I turned it on was that scary how quickly the rise was? I mean to me it felt like you guys rose pretty quickly but maybe it was different for you guys.
0: I definitely think uh, I'm a lot more comfortable with that whole thing now than I, I was then. Because I, yeah, I think we went from a song as a city where we were pretty much like an indie band. You know, we would we would always be on like you know the top three requested songs each night on Triple J because it was that we were that kind of band. We were like you know lovable enough, you know, um, but pretty indie. And then we went, then we kind of were quite ambitious with the Black Fingernails record, and we were like, okay, we're going to produce it ourselves. I had this idea in my mind about, you know, stepping into this character of of the rock star. You know, we had been at the. the Arias the year before for our, our album, Songs of City, and we'd been nominated for like eight Aria Awards and pretty much lost every single one to Jet because they had, you going to be my girl came out that year and it was smashing it internationally. So every time they were like, and the winner is Jet, I was like, mother... But, you know, the, the, <laughs> the penny kind of dropped for me a little bit because... I would see, like, we went to the Arias looking like a bunch of dorks on our way to a school ball. You know, we bought ourselves suits. We were like, okay, this is what you wear to the Arias. Um, and then I watched Jet get up on the stage and each time they got on the stage, they didn't look like dorks on their way to a school ball. They looked like genuine rock stars. They had like, you know, their hair was out, they had leather jackets, you know, they would, they just looked cool. And so I was like, all right. The, maybe I have to be a rock star, you know. So I went home and did my identikit rock star, you know, put myself together and created this armor. And so when we did Black Females Red Wine, we were consciously stepping into that world of going, okay, we're stepping out of the straight up indie thing into this kind of more alternative rock thing, I guess. Uh, and it worked. And, uh, and you know, suddenly everyone was driving down the road yelling out SGs every time we walked down the road. And it was, <laughs> And it, it felt a little bit full on. I, I think I remember at a certain point of time leaving the country because I was just like, I just need to like not be that guy for a little while. Um, and we didn't really get it as bad as some people do, you know. Like we had it big in Australia, but we could we could leave Australia and no one would know who we were really. Um, we did a lot of touring through the states and through Europe through those years, and um, and which was awesome. Played to some big crowds, had some good fans over there, but nothing like what was happening in Australia in that fame sense.
1: I had Lindsay from Friends of Rom on this podcast not too long ago. And uh, I think he was saying he caught you guys in LA after they were on a long tour. And as soon as he saw you guys, he felt like he was at home.
0: <laughs> I, thought, felt that was,
1: I felt like that was a really nice thing to say. That is
0: really nice, actually. Yeah. You know, it's funny with bands like Friends of Rom. Uh, I always tell this to Lindsay every single time. But, you know, when we were on, on stage, uh, you know, and the amp had broken and, we we're in front of like you know thirty thousand people, and it was, you know, we didn't really know what to do. I we actually our default setting was we went back to this Friends All Rom live uh, from the Vans Warped Tour, but it's them at this shitty pub after the Vans Warped Tour, playing to a, like a bunch of you know, five people in a pub in America somewhere, but the banter mm. is so on point and they're just like giving shit to the audience and being completely self-depreciating the whole time. So I always tell Lindsay that every time I see him that I'm just like, you know, that like that we had that cassette, in our Tarago as we drove up and down the East coast and just studied the banter. Um, but those guys were legends.
1: All of you guys from
0: that round that era seem very
1: supportive of each other.
0: Well, I think we can be now. I'm, I'm sure at the time we all gave each other heaps of shit. <laughs> I, mean, we were, I, I think we were, we were always a little bit more country bumpkin about it because coming from Perth you had that kind of country town thing where everybody knows your name, you know, like you can't like get away with anything in Perth so everyone just has to be relatively polite to each other. Um, but I think, yeah, you know, in the I think the, the most toxic bands get is when they're on their way up to that peak, you know, um, or just on the other side of coming back down again. The bands who are at the bottom or at the very top are usually absolutely lovely to deal with, um, but it's it's the people in between who can be a bit of hard work. So I'm sure in those years, as we were all struggling to get to the top of that mountain, we were probably all a little bit more, uh, you know, gave each other a lot more shit than we do these days.
1: As I was in the YouTube hole of Eskimo Joe today, loving life. <laughs> You guys have been nominated for ARIA Awards. You've played in front of sixty thousand people. You, You've—I feel like you've done it all. What keeps you going?
0: Uh, for me you know, like it's, it's swings and roundabouts as far as like, you know, getting up on stage with Eskies and, and doing what we do and going, this is the best job in the world. You know, like I think we're very lucky in Eskies that we all really enjoy each other's company. So we get along well, we have lots of laughs, you know, we piss each other off like, you know, any kind of band of brothers do. But uh, But generally we get along well and that kind of keeps us going in that sense. But you know, we all have creative pursuits that we do day in, day out. And for me, that's what keeps me going. I can only speak from my own experience, but I mean, I'm always working on new music. Um, You know, we're lucky with Eskimo Joe to put out two new songs over the pandemic. I don't know if we'll get around to doing a full record anytime soon, Um, but I've managed to kind of do like, I've just worked, just finished uh, writing and about to release another solo record. Um, I'm always working on other people's music. I produce other bands all the time. Joel does the same thing, like produces some really, really great music. He's living over in Melbourne doing a lot of pop work. But I think those kinds of things, you know, just like putting energy into new music and creating new stuff all the time, like like that never gets boring. And I think that's what personally keeps me wanting to do it all the time. It also makes me feel much more appreciative when I get on stage and do something like we're doing with this double album tour where you go back and... Play these albums that we put so much time and, and energy and effort, and even the gaps between the songs and everything. We, we like argued over every single point just to get <laughs> it absolutely perfect, you know. To go back and, and pay honor to those things it feels really good because we have these other things in our lives that we love doing as well.
1: I'll, uh, I'll let you go, Cav, but thank you so much for uh, jumping on the podcast. Tour kicks off this week.
0: Yes, uh, thank you so much for having us. And yes, the tour kicks off. We're in Brisbane tonight. I think we're then in Hobart, Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney, and finally Perth. All right, Cav Foley, thanks for jumping Thank on. Thank you so much for having us. Cheers.
1: Another one in the can. Thank you so much, Captain Foley, Jumping on the Street Press podcast. Like you said, they are on tour. So the tour actually kicks off tonight, if you are listening, on the Wednesday, September 28th. Uh, they're playing in Brisbane tonight at the Tivoli Theatre. Uh, Hobart on Friday at the Odeon Theatre. In Melbourne on Saturday at the Forum. Adelaide, they'll be there on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, they'll be at Sydney, the Enmore Theatre, which is one that I'm thinking about getting along to. I think it would be excellent to catch them live again. I've seen them a few times. All right, now it's time for this. Let me- Yeah, this is the part of the show where you can write on in and I will read it out. Uh, This comes from the YouTube page, The Ritzy Kids, which is the band I'm in. Matt Ward says, just came up as a suggestion on my Insta. It sounds brilliant. Looking forward to hearing more. Once again, that is for the song Breakthrough, which is the debut track for The Ritzy Kids. And uh, thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for writing in. Hopefully we see you in the crowd one day. Looking back, us, And if you are a regular listener, you hear me bang on about this all week. And I don't know what I'm going to say in this part of the show after this week because all of it's been drumming up for this big debut gig. My band, The Ritzy Kids, we're a pop-punk band. We are playing the debut show at the Bridge Hotel in Rosel September 30. That's this Friday. Tickets, 25 bucks. You can grab them from theritzykids.com. It is going to be a spectacular night. Well, it's been a lot of planning up until this stage and a lot of knockbacks as well. Um, we were supposed to play a really good show earlier this year. That sort of fell on its head because of COVID. And then we went back to square one and we had to start again, basically, and work out a gig that we could play. Um, I was on holidays and I just hit up the Bridge Hotel and I said, hey, can we play there? And they are just, they're just the best people. And they were like, yep, let's have yous on here. Keen to have that and get it going. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time. All year. It's been like a year of jamming. We've got our final rehearsal tonight and then that's it. We're going to hit the stage on Friday and have an absolute ripping time. Yeah, it's going to be really special. So it would be great if you were there. If you want to grab some tickets, head to theritzykids.com. Make sure when you see Andrew on the night, he's a Swannies fan. Um, give him a hug. Just give him a big, tight squeeze and say, you're going to be all right, mate. It's okay. He actually caught a 12-hour train (laughs) down to Melbourne. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh. And then the Swannies dished that up for him. So he's a bit pissed off about it. But um, give him a big hug. Say hello. This time next week, I'll be talking all about the gig. And uh, yeah, like I said, come along. If not, I'll be speaking to you same time next week on the podcast. ta da